Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Mitch Collier, reception manager at the newly opened Mayfair Townhouse in London. Coming up on today's show... Mitch and Phil chew the fat over a new show idea involving cake. This sounds like a, a low-key episode of Narcos. <laughs> it, I mean, I'm considering selling it to Netflix. It, it's going to be called Baking Bad. Phil demonstrates that we really do conjure up some random topics on the show. And I can just imagine Raymond Blanc in a Winnie the Pooh outfit now. And Mitch backs that up with a random story of his own. And it turns out it, it wasn't a dog it was just um two people expressing their love for one another all that and so much more as mitch walks us through his story and journey to date mitch really does have an incredible story overcoming extreme health issues to become what i think is one of the brightest talents we have i'm so grateful for him speaking so openly on his battles you're a legend mitch don't forget to hit subscribe and give us a like and a share across your favorite social channels enjoy Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we're back in luxury hotels and we're chatting to someone who's making their way in the industry as we welcome the current reception manager of the upcoming Mayfair townhouse, Mitchell Collier. Hi Phil, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm splendid actually, doing very well, uh, working hard getting the Mayfair townhouse up and running, which is an exciting project in itself. Yeah. Um, but I'm excited to be talking to you today. Yes, well, well great. That, well, that, no pressure then. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're in the hotel today. Yes, I'm at the hotel today. Um, so apologies if I'm interrupted by any builders or last minute housekeepers coming to dust or the the building dust away. Uh, yeah. Or or possibly you know the, the shaking of a building from a, the big drills that are outside. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, London is still in a relentless redevelopment mode, isn't it? Just kind of wherever you go. There are a lot of building work going on in London, you know, walking to the Mayfair Townhouse in Green Park, I think I walked past like four or five different building sites of other projects going up. And it's great to see that there's so much, you know, up and coming. Um, And I guess hopefully, you know, it'll all be done uh, in time for when we start getting back to our usual lives. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're uh, recording this on the 29th of October in 2020. Whenever, if somebody's listening to this in the year 2040, (laughs) 2020 will be known for one thing, I think. Yeah, that that thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that thing, indeed. But anyway, we're not going to make it about that. Absolutely. Um, when does the, when's the townhouse scheduled to open? So we're scheduled to open on the 16th of November 2020. Um, so it's coming around quite fast. Uh, yeah. I've got all of the teams starting on Monday. Uh, so there's lots of last minute planning work going into place to get everything ready for them. Um, to be you know to, to do an opening of a hotel is a really unique experience and you know getting the level of engagement and energy is so important at the start because um, yeah. it, it does take a lot out of you to do an opening for sure yeah well you say it's a unique experience but you, this is your second isn't it <laughs> it is my second one um but, but all openings are, are different all openings are unique i mean this is uh, going to be the largest hotel i've worked in which is exciting um and it's probably going to be the biggest teams that i've managed as well so far so there's a lot kind of different from the previous opening some similarities so i do feel a little bit more confident there but then there's always a new challenge to to face which is just as exciting in itself no absolutely well 
let's go all the way back then. Take us back to to the beginning of your your career, or well, how did you end up coming into hospitality? Uh, so I mean, I actually started in hospitality in a really small restaurant where I grew up in Staffordshire, a little town called Leek, and there was a, a restaurant there, and I wanted to do my work experience. Um, I've got a story about Leek. Oh, have you? Yeah, very, very quickly. My uh, my wife's wedding dress came from a wedding shop in Leek. Really? Did you ever Maybe go to Leek? I, I never went because obviously oh. I'm not allowed. Um, uh, well, yeah, but... so in Staffordshire, we have something called a Staffordshire Oatcake. Right. And um, if you've never seen one or heard of one, then you won't know what it is. <laughs> right. Uh, it's, it's not a Scottish oatcake. It is basically an oatmeal-based pancake. And okay. you stick bacon and cheese in it, stick it under the grill, and it is probably one of the best things in Staffordshire. It's the best thing about Staffordshire, is our oatcakes. That sounds fit. Now, they are incredibly good for a hangover cure. Right. Um, and I was shocked. I live in Berkshire, in Maidenhead now, and I commute into London. And I had the most overwhelming experience walking into my big Sainsbury's there and I saw Staffordshire oatcakes in their bread section. And I wow. was just amazed. And the first thing I could think of doing was picking up my phone and calling my nan to shout down the phone that they've got Staffordshire oatcakes in bar. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, made it. It's made it. It's making its way around the world. They've done it. I mean, I've lived across the country and I've never found them anywhere else. Mm. And to walk into my, my Sainsbury's and find them there. But then, funny enough, actually, at the um, the coach in Marlow, uh, Tom Kerridge, yep. on their breakfast menu is Staffordshire oatcakes. Really? Yes. Right. Um, and I'm yet to go and try them, actually, because I think my nan would have a, you know, a, a little panic when she finds out that I'm going to be paying £12 for an oatcake. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he knows uh, a thing or two about food, does that man, so they must be good. Yeah, so a Staffordshire Oatcake, for your podcast listeners, if you're ever in Staffordshire, make sure you go and get yourself a Staffordshire Oatcake. Done. Noted. Do you think we could um, do the whole podcast on this very subject? I mean, I probably could go into a lot of detail about what type of bacon to use, what type of cheese. I mean, my nan is one of these people that has got her own little unique ways of doing everything. You know, she has her own way of making pots of tea. You know, you wash the tea bag before you have the tea and then you kind of stick four or five of them into a big kettle and then you boil that up and then you put it into a smaller kettle. And yeah, Crikey. <laughs> she's yeah. Uh, great with her culinary expertise. <laughs> yeah, well, this this is probably a, a, a methodology that will be handed down through the generations, right? So, Oh, yeah. Washing the tea bags and yeah. decanting your tea into separate smaller teapots. That's uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> well, um, so anyway i took you off i took you off um you were about to get stuck into your journey so i apologize for that but, but get used to it <laughs> there'll be plenty more to come yeah um so yeah so back to the small restaurant in leek um i started off on my work experience week uh as, in the kitchen as a kp because i really wanted to be a pastry chef right um so at school i i was quite naughty well I was quite entrepreneurial, I think you could say, in the sense that I would bake three cakes in a day okay. in the evening and I'd take them into school and I'd sell them in lessons. Right. Well, usually in the playground. Uh, and uh, so I was a bit of a cake dealer. Yeah. Brown paper bags. <laughs> oh, um, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big Tupperware boxes. I used to walk in with them. You, know, you remember the big Argos bags? 
Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Argos, giant Argos bags. I'd walk into school with one of those every day, and I think the teachers just were like, is that his PE kit or something? Yeah. And I used to sell them at like £2 a slice. I used to probably take home about £60, £70 a day. Wow. Um, what, age six? Cakes. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> from, from like the age of 12, I was, um, yeah, I should have been on Bake Off. Um, yeah. And then I, I got a bit too carried away and I started bringing more and more cakes in because I just wanted to get a bit more money. And, right. Um, I got, I, I made the mistake of selling it to teachers as well, which, who, funny enough, they did buy it. Um, but then I got back to the headmaster that I was selling cakes. So I got called to the headmaster's office and was immediately told to shut down my operation because uh, I don't have a food hygiene certificate at my kitchen at home and I don't have a business license. And I'm also taking money away from the school canteen. Wow. Um, then this sounds like a, a low-key episode of Narcos. <laughs> it, I mean, I'm considering selling it to Netflix yeah <laughs> cake dealers uh, it, it's going to be called baking bad ah i see yeah. what you did there I see uh, what you did. <laughs> very good very good um but yeah i was devastated you know i was bringing in quite a lot of money and i i, I think i bought an ipod and an xbox within a few weeks right um i, I was I minted basically at 12 you're you're parents must have been delighted they were actually uh, i mean i think my mum was a bit concerned when i'd literally come home and my pockets were just full of change yeah i would be taking one pound and two pounds you know you know so literally my pockets would just be full of change who have you been bullying today yeah who, 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 who's, whose lunch money is you've stolen today yeah <laughs> um so that's how I, I wanted to be a pastry chef <laughs> another tangent sorry yeah that's um, all right Tangents are, are most welcome in, in this environment. This Good. is a safe safe space for tangents. <laughs> um, so I did my work experience there at the, this restaurant in Leek, and they offered me a full-time job. So I turned 16 during my work experience, and they said, look, now you're 16, we can probably employ you in our kitchens. Right. Great, I'll be a pot wash. So every weekend, every Friday, Saturday night, I was in the, the kitchen pot washing and when I got the opportunity to go make a dessert or plate a dessert, I ran away from the, the, the pot wash and threw my marigolds off and <laughs> and uh, plated up the desserts. And I was, I, I loved it. Um, yep. One day, um, there were really short staff downstairs in the restaurant and the restaurant manager, uh, Vicky, she said, um, would you mind helping out on like a Thursday night? I said, yeah, 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 of course, of course. And that was my first experience like front of house. And I just fell in love with it. And then I went on to study hospitality management at Buxton Elite College. Uh, in Derbyshire and uh, I kind of moved away more from the kitchen into front of house because I just fell in love with interaction of, of people and, and talking and just being involved in, in that service and the rush from the front of house side yeah so I did that um, and then from that college course the uh, hospitality management uh, you had to do a month work placement now I originally applied to go down to West Sussex down to South Lodge Hotel where okay. you yeah. use Rachel who's the reception Indeed. there yeah so I, went, I applied there. My mum drove me all the way down there from Staffordshire. So it was like three and a half hours. She drove me all the way down there, had an interview. They said, yeah, you're great. You know, we, we, you know we'd like to have you for the month. Um, and then a couple of weeks before I started, I sent all my details over. And they were like, oh, my gosh, we've, we, we thought you were 18. We can't actually have you come and stay because you have to be 18. Oh, really? Right. So I was then looking if I could, I could B&B locally and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But it just you know, the financials of it was just a little bit, you know, 
ambitious. Um, mm. So unfortunately, should I should have uh, started a cake making racket or something I like that. Done. Instead of a little like cake stall outside South Lodge. Yeah. <laughs> I had Danny Peccarelli running out at me, you know, yeah. chasing me off. <laughs> yeah, but but buying a piece of cake at the same time. Of course, make sure you get this one as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I actually went to the Marriott Bradshaw Priory in Derby instead. Um, okay, yeah. But Southwatch were great. You know, they said to me, look, when you turn 18, come back to us and we'd love to offer you a job. And that's exactly what I did. Um, I waited uh, a year to finish my college course. I went back to South Lodge and I said, look, I'm 18 now. Can I have that job you promised me? <laughs> yeah. And I started working there in uh, 2014. And that was my first like hotel experience. And it was incredible. South Lodge, this was before they had their spa, so it was a little bit smaller, but it was still really exciting. You know, I worked under some amazing people there. I had David Connell, I had Mark Sergei there at the time, Chris Todd, who's now with Masters and Holders. It, it, it was an incredible experience to, to be there at the time I was at. Um, and then uh, a wonderful lady called Laura Godman joined as front office manager and she'd previously been at Le Manoir and we worked together for a little bit and then she went back to Le Manoir and said would you like to come with me and the, the shining lights of Le Manoir were quite interesting. <laughs> yeah that's a tough one to turn down. Yeah so you know I sat with Mark Sergan and I said look I've got the great opportunity I'd really love to stay but I, you know I, I'm really sorry but I can't turn down this opportunity to go and work at Le Manoir. So I started at Le Manoir in 2016 uh, and I have to say it's probably one of the most incredible three years of my life working at Le Manoir. It was, um, gosh, getting emotional with it. <laughs> um, it's, it, I, I describe Le Manoir as the Disneyland for adults. Right. Right. In a sense that when you arrive at Le Manoir, it is just this magical oasis of a bubble. Yeah. And, we were quite lucky in the sense there of colleagues that half of our job was almost done because when they arrived there, they already wanted to be there. They're already impressed. They're already wowed. They already think it's amazing. You know, so we've got to do something really bad to, to change that around. But going back to my Disneyland reference, imagine if you've got a group of children and Winnie the Pooh takes his head off and reveals a person inside. Yeah. For those children, that dream is then ruined you know disneyland is ruined it's closed go home winnie the pooh's not real it's is he not i'm sorry phil if you hadn't been informed already oh god <laughs> switch um, the microphone off that's it we're done <laughs> end of conversation <laughs> so with le manoir it's similar in the sense that as well if you just do something if something breaks that illusion of this perfect world it's just downhill from there so we've only got to do something really small to mess it up. So we're always making sure that we were just on this top level of, of service and quality and engagement. But I loved that. I mean, I've got a great story about my grandparents. Before my grandfather passed away, my grandma and my granddad were saving to go and stay mm. before I started. And they've been saving for probably a good couple of years to go. Um, and then when my granddad passed away, obviously Nan didn't want to go on her own. But then when I got the job at Le Manoir, she told me that story. And I was thinking, oh, my God, that's, you know, I didn't realize that's what you were doing. 
because it was their life dream to go and stay there because, you know, they love Roman Blanc. They've always wanted to go. So I took her and my mum for my nan's 70th birthday and we got her to meet Roman Blanc and he signed her book and, right. and, and she loved it. But it's that story that I just always wanted to make sure people knew about when they were joining the team of just how special what it is that we do is. I can relate to it. I'm a massive foodie and, and my wife knows this hugely. And for my, I think it was my, was it my 30th? My 30th birthday. I think maybe, I can't, I can't remember specifically. Well, you're not but she, 35, so it must be. Oh, oh <laughs> I wish. Um, but, but bless you. We can talk longer now. I'm over the Winnie, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh thing. She treated me to a meal at Le Manoir. Uh, but not only that, we had a tour of the gardens with the gardener uh, before we ate. So you know, it gave you a real kind of sense of where some of your food that was on the plate was coming from. Um, it was a really, really wonderful experience. I got a tour of the kitchen afterwards. Yeah. It was just for it was a foodie's dream. It is an incredibly unique place, and I think the thing I love the most about it is that every single person you meet there is passionate about whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah. And that is everybody from the painters, that is everybody from the maintenance team, all the way through to the gardeners, the chefs, the front of house team, the housekeepers, the events teams, every single, and that's what I think Roman Blanc has captivated there is just a a group and like a society of people who have just got passion and dedication into their fields. Yeah, I, I I don't doubt that for a second. And do you know what the uh, the Winnie the Pooh analogy is? Actually, I've not been able to get that out of my head. Um, <laughs> and I can just imagine Raymond Blanc in a Winnie the Pooh outfit now. Um, I mean, I think I would pay good money to see that. I mean, I've seen Raymond Blanc in a few crazy costumes at a staff party. I was um, going to say, I'm sure he wouldn't have a problem doing that, actually. I don't think he would. And I, I might just drop him a text after this and just say... Yeah. RB, would you be interested in putting a Winnie the Pooh outfit on this year for the oh, please. party? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, where were we? Yes, uh, the specialness of um, uh, of Le Manoir, yeah, with or without I, Winnie the Pooh. And I remember when Raymond Blanc, when I first met him, he said to me in his, his French accent, I won't attempt to, to save embarrassment, <laughs> he said, Mitchell, excellence can never be held on to, it can only ever be touched. Okay, yeah, very Uh, good. That's always stuck with me. And he said, you know, what is excellent today is not going to be excellent tomorrow. And it's a a little bit like we're just going about perfection. What is perfect to you is not going to be perfect to somebody else. But it's understanding that, but also understanding what their version of perfect is, so you can give them that. Yeah, I think Uh, that's that's massively important. And that that works in so many different ways, doesn't it? Especially in a a guest-facing environment understanding that I think is has got to be worth its weight in yeah. gold and, and in terms of keeping that longevity uh, of excellence is it's got to be an evolution yeah it is it's, it's it's an ongoing process and it is never something you can just stop and rest upon yeah um, but that's what I love about hospitality that's what I love about you know what it is that we do because it's never stopping and it's never the same and it's never just quit do you, you know what I mean yeah Absolutely, um, and, and that's what I, I, I love, and and that's what I'm so passionate about it. And you know, I love the challenge of of what it is that we do. Excellent. Uh, so you were there for three years. 
so yeah, I was there for for three years, and then I got the opportunity to go and open the other Belmond uh, in London, the Belmond Cadogan Hotel. Yeah. Um, so that was my first opening, my first London property. You know, I was a country town boy from Leek, Staffordshire, and I was going to take on you know the big city of London and to do an opening and all of that. But the Belmont Cadogan was a really again another unique property. You know, it's very boutique, high yeah. luxury. You know, it was always about a story. You know, I believe as as people in hospitality, we are, we are storytellers. You know, either we're telling the story of the property or we're telling our own stories or we're helping, I guess, make their own stories. You know, we, we are storytellers. Yeah. And that, that was an incredible opportunity. So I was there for uh, uh, just under two years. And I'm now here at the Mayfair Townhouse doing another opening, which I said I'd never do again, but I got the Yeah, <laughs> everybody says that. But then, of course, you get marked, don't you, with, oh, he's got he's got new opening experience, so we, we need some people with some new opening experience. Yeah. But, I, I, you know, I think at the end of the day, if the project's interesting enough, you're never going to say no to an opening no. uh, on that basis. Absolutely not. And I was really excited with this, you know, with it being iconic luxury hotels, with... Uh, you know, they've got 11 Cadogan Gardens in London. They've got Clifton House, which I can see, you know, I live in Maidenhead, so I can see it from my flat. Um, you know, they've right. got Glen, they've got Ligon Arms, you know, so they've got some yeah. really, really iconic luxury properties. Really? I <laughs> should probably call that their business. I think that it probably nice and simple. It says on the tin. Yeah. I think you need yeah, to but, uh, Absolutely. Cool. So, <laughs> Property's opening in a couple of weeks. Are you at that stage then where there's like wires hanging from all different places and you think we're never going to get this finished, but somehow it all comes together? I, I don't know what happens, Phil, overnight. I don't know how it happens, but just suddenly lights will be on the walls where there weren't the day before. Yeah. And I, I see the builders go home, so I, I just don't understand how that happens. You yeah, know, there's a team of pixies come out in the night and they finish it off i um i did a uh i was part of the pre-opening team for the aurora uh, pnos cruise ship that uh, that was launched in the year 2000 and we broke down but that's a different story that was um we broke down on our first ever cruise but i remember doing the rounds the day before we were welcoming passengers onto the the ship for the first time and you just went there's just no way there is absolutely no way. It felt like 75% of the ship had to be finished. Yeah. You know, just things screwed in properly and, you know, plants put in the right place. And and I was just think, there's not a chance we're going to get. And then, you, as you say, you wake up, you go to bed, you wake up and what the hell happened? <laughs> Where was this urgency two weeks ago? Yeah. yeah. And somehow you make it work. It's just, it's an incredible thing. And I don't really know the physics of why that that happens but it seems to it's just what we do you know we just make a situation work even if we thought it wasn't possible before we're just massive problem solvers yeah uh, and I, I think that's what's so great about you know i, I love doing sudoku um you know i sit on the train and spend my whole train journey into london just doing them Get that brain in the right place for yeah, solving absolutely. some problems. I also love it as well. I also love it when it just comes together. And I think that's what it, it's just. Hospitality is just one big Sudoku game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's some original thinking right there. I'll, um, 
that that will maybe make it into the intro. Who knows? <laughs> when I was uh, I was researching you, and it's trickier normally when you've got somebody. If you'll permit me to call you a little bit more junior yep. than than some of the people that I've I've had on on the show, but that, that equally that was massively important to me that that it's not just about the you know the 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 heavy hitters and the founders and all of that. There's a massive voice amongst many different people and roles and. Uh, and areas of hospitality that needs to be heard, but it's normally a lot trickier to to do research on more junior. And I say that in inverted commas. But in your case, it, it actually there was quite a lot came up. Oh God! Relax. It's all right. It's all good. They <laughs> they cleared that police file. Yeah. <laughs> the the one that I wanted to really talk uh, about was uh, was the 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 tweet that's pinned to your Twitter account. Oh yeah. And it's that that talk you did at the hotel katie's in 2018 mm. talk us through that if you if you'll permit me because that you talked with real knowledge that you know is a really authentic voice that was coming out it wasn't uh, uh it didn't feel like it was a, a an overly rehearsed clinical chat yeah. you were talking about uh, mental health of mm. course and I think that's, that's massively important at any time, but let alone the time that we live in at the moment. Mm-hmm. So talk us through, how did that come about? How did you how did you land this public speaking gig? Um, so, I mean, I, I think, it, honestly, Phil, it, it, it generally comes from the heart and it generally comes from me and going through it and, and, and dealing with it firsthand. So 2017, it was May and I'd had a spell of, you know, ill health and I wasn't doing too well right. and I collapsed and oh. I was just like, oh, what's going on here? That's a bit odd. And me being me, being young, you know, I was 20, uh, you know, it was the world's my oyster. I'm just going to crack on. Nothing's going to stop me living in the fast lane. And I just kept going. And Jane, uh, who was the PA to the general manager at the Manoir, was a very good friend of mine and still is. And she kind of spotted that I wasn't doing too well physically. And right. she was like, go to the doctors, please. You know, you're not doing too well. I said, no, 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 I'm fine. You know, I can manage this. And she was like, no, Mitchell, I'll take you myself if I have to. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I, I, I did it. I went to the hospital, you know, got some blood tests and everything, went home. And whilst I was driving home the following day from work, the, the GP called me and said, what are you doing? Where are you? I said, oh, I'm just getting out of my car. He's right, get to the hospital. Right, and I was like, "What?" He goes, "Get to hospital right now. Your 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 uh, hemoglobin, uh, hemoglobin levels are, are 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 so low that you're you're about you know you, you're gonna die." Crikey! So I was like, "Right, uh, do I call an ambulance? Either way, you can get to the ho- if someone can take you to a hospital, do that. If you need to call an ambulance, call an ambulance." And I said, "Okay." So I got rushed to hospital. And I had to have four blood transfusions and they started doing all this investigatory work. You know, they were checking me out, scanning uh, at everything within, you know, 48 hours. Um, I had a full tour of the hotel, uh, the hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they eventually found some growth in my bowel, which had been causing severe internal bleeding, which is why I was losing all my blood. And they found out that they were cancerous. Crikey. So I had to go into hospital, uh, uh, sorry, I had to stay in hospital and have surgery to remove these. And it was just a bit of a shock to the system. So this is, as I said, late May, early June 
and it was just before my 21st birthday where I had plans to go to Tel Aviv and I had plans to, you know, have a big celebration and I had to cancel everything because I was recovering from surgery. Yeah. And at the time, uh, funny enough, just a bit before that, my partner at the time ended our relationship. Um, oh, and I blame me. Yeah. Got it all going on. <laughs> and also I'd applied to be the guest relations manager at Le Manoir, but I got told that, you know, I'm not quite ready yet. I still need to do some development, which in hindsight, I totally agree. But at the time it was a, another blow. Another blow. Yeah. You know, being told you've got cancer, you know, a, a, a relationship breaking down and then being told you're not good enough for a promotion. It was, um, it was, it was tough. It was, yeah. but yeah. I didn't acknowledge that and I didn't appreciate that until a lot later because I was still young, I was still indestructible and I just wanted to get on and do everything. Yeah. So I'm straight back to it. I had literally two and a half weeks, three weeks off after all of that, after the surgery and after everything. And I just wanted to get straight back into work, get my head down and work, 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 work. And then I'd say it was probably late September time. There was a guest actually who came, uh, I won't go into too much detail. Basically the, the guests um, had recently been diagnosed with cancer and they wanted to come to the hotel as like their bucket list. Right. And it was just a lot of righteousness of deserving things because they'd had this diagnosis. I want an upgrade because I've got cancer. I want to do this because I've got cancer. I want to do this because I've got cancer. And it was literally, I, 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 I broke down. I, I, I completely had a complete breakdown in the middle of reception, crying. I had to walk away. <laughs> because yeah. Yeah. It was just this realization that why is this person being so difficult about it? And I've had my own diagnosis, I've had my, you know, going through my treatment and I'm just getting on with my life and I'm not, you know, maybe I should stop and, and kind of hold off for a minute and slow down. But I really struggled with my mental health with it, but I just didn't acknowledge it. Right. And mental health is usually an unseeing enemy. You know, it's an unseen by many people that deal with it. And also sometimes unrecognized by the people that deal with it. And Jane again was the one who said to me, you're not okay. I'm getting you some help. So she told me about hospitality action. Right. And hospitality action. We had the employees assistance program at Le Manoir, but I wasn't aware of the wealth of support they gave. You know, I, I sat in on the golden friends scheme that they do. And I'd had afternoon tea with the lovely people that they brought at Le Manoir. And I sat with them and I was talking with them, you know, so I was aware of hospitality action. I just wasn't aware of how much they offered. Yeah. So Jane said, you know, you can get counselling through them. And I said, well, let me try and get it through the NHS first, you know, and then I'll, I'll go to them if I, I need to. Anyway, so I went mm. to the NHS and, you know, I absolutely adore the NHS. And I think they're incredible. They're just massively under-resourced when it comes to mental health. And that's yeah, doing sure. that their own. Um, you know, this is not what this is about at all. You know, I think they're doing incredible work and what they did try and offer was the most that they could possibly do. It's just they didn't have the resources to, to help me. You know, I had to wait three months to be spoken to on the phone to see if I was eligible enough to receive counselling. Whereas with Hospitality Action and their Employees Assistance Programme, I called them up and I think I'd had an appointment with my first counsellor within like four days. But it was Jane, she was my rock, and, and she literally locked me in the GM's office and said, you're calling Hospitality Action's EAP programme, whether you like it or not. Because I didn't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but 
thank goodness for her though, right? Absolutely. You, and you need people like that around you for sure. She, as I said, she's, she was my rock in all of that. And this is what I talk about a lot that, you know, people need to be, because the thing was with Jane was she, she genuinely wanted to make sure I was okay. Yeah. And it, it's like when, you know, we did at the start of this podcast, I said, how are you? You know, we, we say it so flippantly sometimes that it loses the meaning. I completely agree. I think it's also in, in hospitality where we're preconditioned to say, yeah, great, wonderful. Yeah. But actually, you know, that's just a natural reaction that you give. It's not necessarily how you really feel. Exactly. And it's very, very easy. But Jane said that she noticed that I stopped asking how you were. Right. Quite early on. And she said that was a big change for, for you. And then I was talking to my counsellor. She was saying, you, you probably stopped saying, how are you? Because you didn't want them to ask it back. Because you didn't want to have to, you know, lie to their face that you're not okay. You're not, you know, you're struggling. Yeah. Was, Jane turned around to me and said, you're not okay. You are not okay. You know, what are we going to do? Uh, that I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm not okay. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I think mental health is still taboo. There is a lot of support there. People aren't aware of that support sometimes, I don't think. But also I think people are a bit too scared still to reach out for that help. You know, as you said earlier, you know, I, I am fairly junior in in my career. And the last thing I want to do is anybody to think that I'm mentally not strong enough to cope with stuff. You know, I don't want them to be like, oh, we can't give Mitch that promotion because, you know, it might not be a, the right time for him. Or, you know, we can't ask Mitch to do this because he might struggle with it. You, you know, I didn't want that to be the case. But instead, it's it's a bit more these days, I think, of a, a sign of strength to turn around and say, OK, I'm, I'm struggling with this, but, you know, I'm still capable of doing X, Y, Z, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, there is a, a changes coming. And, you know, I think the whole COVID situation, is not talking about it, but it has had a huge impact on people's mental health because yeah. everybody is so used to living this fast-paced life we're all used to running around and getting work done and chasing up on emails and chasing up on other recruiters and chasing, you know, we're all used to living this hugely fast paced life. And then when we're forced to stop and look around and, and take in our surroundings, that's when you start recognizing that maybe things aren't the right, you know, the way you want it to be, or, you know, they're not probably the best setup for you, et cetera. Yeah. I completely agree. I think the the there's a bit of a, a reset button being hit yeah. with, with a lot of people, and you know, and I, I hope that we don't go back into negative, old, tired habits mm -hmm. on the back of this. That it is actually the kind of the shock to the system that that the the world needs to kind of go like something's not working correctly here. Yeah, and you're absolutely right when you talk about the fact that the 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 old sort of ideology of the fact that if you admit that you're not okay is a sign of weakness it's completely it's absolute rubbish it, it's such a show of strength to to turn around and say i need help yeah because you've admitted it to yourself mm -hmm. and that's that's a massive uh, massive step and i think there's so many good things come out of adversity and and adversity unfortunately is is a part of life it's just mm -hmm. you know so you have to be we've got to give each other 
the tools and the the arm around to say if you need me i'm right here yeah you know and um and just if we had more of that going on you know a lot of the 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 problems that we have in the world would, wouldn't even exist yeah it is and you know we, we we all as as people in hospitality we all dedicate so much of our time ensuring our guests and you know uh employees are, are happy but then on that personal level you know really listening and really caring and just again it's just that understanding what it is that they need yeah. perspective and just understanding that your perspective just isn't you know tunnel vision and that everybody else has got their own perspective of life and what might you might see is fine someone else might see as a problem yeah you know? and just talking about it and making sure that there is an understanding there i think is absolutely crucial if we're going to move forward with you know mental health and the support that's available you, you know what you might struggle with mentally you, you know might be even worse for somebody else or vice versa mm. and just just genuinely caring about one another and genuinely wanting them to be okay and and but it's also from the, the, the giving side, you know, I, I remember I didn't want to be a burden. You know, I didn't want somebody yeah. else to have my issues on top of theirs. But then again, that, that collaboration of people, you, you know, to, to help and talk and just let it out. You know, I remember bottling it all up and feeling so tense and, and aggy all the time and just letting it all out was just, uh, you know, a huge sigh of relief just to get it out in the open and just, you know, not keep holding it in so much. Yeah. Well, and you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you don't do the situation any favors in any case by not letting it out. You know, you're, you're, you're making the, the, I suppose your, your impact then on the environment around you is, is also extenuated because, you know, you're, you're not yourself and you're not, you're not behaving in the way that you normally would. And that has its impact on the people around you. That's a real, good point to make though Phil because there is um so someone who's experienced that firsthand personally I think you do pick up a little bit on those changes in people yeah so I worked in a hotel and there was a person there who was acting up one day and I had a couple of other colleagues come and say oh you need to speak to her you know that person because you know they're being downright rude you know then they, you know they, they back chatted to me just then and it was unacceptable mm. and if this person do that that was really out of character and I was just like okay there's something going on here so I'll, I'll you know pull them aside the second I can and talk to them you know ask them what is going on with them because this isn't them this isn't their character normally so there's something yeah. else going on there that 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 has caused such an adverse in their, their character um, and it turned out that they were just really upset that I'd be leaving this hotel and the, that I'd be, you know, moving on. And they were worried about what, what it meant for their future, et cetera, and, and, and what that might entail and, and how it might affect their development, et cetera. And that's what it was. And, you know, so I had a good chat and I said, you know, I'm more than happy to be around as your mentor, you know, wherever I am in, in, in my hospitality career. And I'll always be there to help you and, and talk to you and, and help you with you know, development plan or whatever it is that you'd like to do. Um, and from that point, they kind of went, oh, thank goodness. And they relaxed and the rest of the shift was perfect. and It was fine. And, you know, they went around and yeah. they said sorry to the people that you know that they'd been rude to. And, you know, it was all forgiven. But it was just spotting that that wasn't them. That isn't their normal behavior. Yeah. And that's what Jane did for me. 
Well, yeah, and then you know, and not. I suppose then having the the wherewithal to understand that there may be something else in play here. So let's not just jump down somebody's throat about it, you know, and and let's just try and understand the situation so that we can all collectively move forward together. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 that's what we need to do. It's that collaboration of the people and, and mentalities and just helping one another. And, you know, I'm, I, from, from my own experience with it, you know, now I, I look at my life and the, the past can never be changed and we must always appreciate the past. And, you know, I have no regrets. I'd like to have done things differently, but I would never regret it. Yeah. It's only the now and here right now that I have an influence over and that I can change and that I can positively impact. And then the future is just unquestioned, you know, the future you, you can help guide and you can have an idea of what you want to happen in the future. But it's only when you're in the there and the now that you're ever going to affect it and influence it and actually have some some change about it yeah um, no i completely agree the um wow well i thank you so much for for going into such depth on what is a, a, a really really important subject matter it really is um, and yeah. it, it does get me emotional and it does it's it just so funny enough so that the, you, you referenced the, the twitter video that i've got pinned um the video mm. that was played at the the hotel katie's the video that hospitality action made um the day that i filmed that the day at the lamanoir in the evening um my dad passed away right uh, and he had struggled with mental health um and he'd turned to alcohol for his solution you know he, he didn't want to have counseling he didn't want to you know he was just that stiff upper, upper lip i'm gonna be fine about it but he would drink uh, unfortunately and and his it was the alcohol that he died from in the end and wow. it was a really an emotional period because you know to have that happen at the time it was it was quite overwhelming to deal with it you know to understand of course yeah firsthand what he would have been going through as well you know to experience it myself and then understand what he'd obviously would have been going through and I remember before he died I had a phone call with him and he wasn't doing too well. And, and, and he turned around and said, you know, I'm, I'm fighting every single day. Every single day is a battle. Right. And it, it, it was harrowing because I just, at the time I didn't understand it as well. You know, I, I, I was like, I just, I, I it, it wouldn't sink in how big of a battle he was going through until I'd gone through it myself. Yeah. And I think, it, it just needs that open conversation and that honesty and that ability to talk and the unity of us all and that collaboration that I've said a few times. And I remember when I walked up on the stage at the Hotel Katie's to do the talk at the start, they played a song, I think it was Ellie Golding, um, Standing With An Army. Right, yeah. And I don't know why, but that song, it, 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 it sent goosebumps up my, on my arms and I just cried the first time I heard it in the rehearsals because it was just that it is standing with an army you know I'm here in this room of, of people supporting me and Jane is my army my mum was my art you know all these people around me that supported are this army for me yeah and then you know my, my backup and just making sure that people feel that support there as well is I think is crucial when it comes to dealing with mental health yeah it's a reciprocating thing isn't it i mean you you would it's it's a humanity thing really i mean at the end of the day if you're emitting kindness to people then the the likelihood of that kindness being reciprocated is huge yeah 
the the chances are if Jane ever needs you, you're going to drop everything. Absolutely. That that you that you got to go and and help her in, in anything that she needs. And if we all if we just all did this, yeah. my God, it would be so life would be easier. Yeah. But I'd, I'd, for I'd a lot of people, for everybody and anybody, you know, because I I know what it is like because you feel so alone in it. Mm. No one's going to understand you. You feel like no one's going to appreciate what's going on. So when you know that there is generally someone that's going to be there for you, there is generally going to be someone that's going to help you get through this and help you, you know, battle on with that army. Yeah. It, 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 it is this sigh of relief and it is this kind of release of pressure. And I can't explain it because it's such a physical tightness and, and release from it all. Yeah. No, I, 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 well, you could probably argue that the majority of, humans on the planet at some point have gone through something that's that's tough to deal with yeah and whether that's you know, the loss of a loved one or uh, their own battle with a with an illness or or whatever you know I, I suppose in a real kind of simplistic way i assume that these things have kind of made you grow up quite quickly i mean i i, I think so you know i experienced you know a point in my life when I was 20 to be told that you almost died Yeah. to then deal with that, to then be told you had cancer, you know, and I always feel bad going into, you know, the hematology unit in, in Oxford. Cause I, I, I'm probably somewhat one of the youngest persons that sat in there mm. and it is weird. And it, and I, I do almost have this, it's almost like a guilt, but I don't know what it is. It's weird. It's like, a. I think it would be very easy for me to turn around and just feel sorry for myself. Yeah. But I think that's the, that's the default position, isn't it? For a, a lot of people. I mean, look at the, the person who came in to Le Manoir, who was using yeah. the cancer as an excuse to, 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 you know, not behave in an appropriate way. Yeah. You can, you can choose to do that uh, or you can choose to, to say, do you know what? This is a really precious thing that I've got given to me, which is life. Yeah, I'm going to max it. Absolutely, and 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 that's exactly what it was. And it was I'm I'm not going to be that person that feels sorry for myself about this. Yeah, because there are people, you know, I've I've done it. You know, I've gone through this, and you know, scares come up every now and then. You know, they think they might have found something, and then they take a biopsy, and it's fine, and they just cut it out. And you know, it's just one of these ongoing processes that I'm I'm going to live with now for the rest of my life, and, mm. and that's just how it is. But I'm not, I'm not. I, there is so much more that I can be doing in terms of assisting people with with mental health, and just you know, if, even if I can just help a few people get out of the situation that I was in. Yeah, because You've done your bit. Yeah, for sure, absolutely, and it is so rewarding to, to to do that and just assist, you know, hospitality action in 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 fighting that, but then also in any other, you know, um, capacity with mental health. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that the the point I made earlier on about you being, you know, more junior again in inverted commas. You definitely don't behave like you are. You know, you're you're already emitting uh, personality traits that I'd say are you know put you on a path to to real seniority in this uh, industry and kind of not even even beyond the industry. You know, I think people will want to hear your voice. You you talk with eloquence. You talk with clarity. 
and you're doing that at, at quite a young age and i really hope i don't sound patronizing when i i say that that's all um so yeah i'd take my hat off to you and, and please keep doing what you're doing thanks phil it's uh it's, it's an ongoing thing and i'm i'm not stopping anytime soon <laughs> excellent yeah well you you did um, we were involved in a, a cheeky little facebook to and fro on improving the message about hospitality yeah and you mentioned that you do some outreach work uh, in your local schools talk talk to me about that yeah so um okay mum is a teacher so she actually arranged for me to go to my old school uh, where she works um yep. and do an enterprise day with um their year eight students and i was really really excited for this you know i've been talking about it for for months with my mom and i was going back to the school with like lesson plans and how i want it to work and basically i got the whole of the year eight students to make a hotel and it could be whatever they want but they've got to open it they've got to plan a budget they've got to plan a party they've got to invite celebrity guests and then they have to pitch the idea to me and the you know the headmaster and i think my mum was involved in the judging as well yeah um, and I have to say it was probably one of the most fun and rewarding days I had done in a long time. And this was back in March. This was just before, obviously, COVID uh, started. Um, yes. But it was prominent enough that I was worried that they were going to cancel it. But anyway, I got to go up and I had the best day ever with them because I think I just really wanted for the, the students to understand that hospitality isn't just working in a restaurant carrying plates, or it's not just cleaning beds in a hotel, or it's not just checking people in on a reception desk. Yeah. So it was really, really important to understand, for them to understand, sorry, what, um, how their subjects link to careers within hospitality. So this was, so I said to the students at the start of the day, I said, right, you need to all have a role in the hotel. Some of you need to be duty man a general manager, food and beverage manager, I need an accountant, I need this, I need that. And I said, the way you're going to help decide this is from the subjects you love to do. So I said, if any of you do sports, if any of you are team captain, you're going to be the general manager because you've got leadership skills, you know how to pick up people's weaknesses, people's strengths and how to utilize that. You know, even as, as year eight students, you know, even quite young people, when they're a team captain, they still have those leadership qualities, but just obviously not cultivated enough. Uh, enough. Um, yeah. I said that the students that love mathematics, you're going to be the financial controllers. The students that love doing English, you guys are going to be great for marketing and PR. And it was really making sure that they understood the connections of their subjects to what it was that they were doing hotel role wise um in the yeah thing. what do you get uh history students what are they history students they are going to be guest relations because they need to do some guest research yeah. very to... good very good yeah well thought out this yeah i've got them all um <laughs> so uh it, it was an amazing day spent with them to to kind of just educate them that hospitality is a career and you know when i worked for belmond the benefits they had were incredible that you know they offered they let us go and stay in all the beautiful Belmont properties across the world and it's only the kids that like to hear about that you know you get all these free holidays I've always said it would be great if I could marry a pilot because then they get me the, the free flights and then I'll sort the free hotels <laughs> very good yeah yeah so that's, that's, that's awesome strategic planning for your life there, right there. Pilots. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so 
uh, and, and celebrities, you know, the, the, the students love hearing about celebrities I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting and which ones are really nice and which ones are really nasty. Um, mm. Love hearing about that and just talking about how exciting the career is, but also what it is that we do. You know, I, I remember, I can't remember where I heard it, but saying that people who work in hospitality are the merchants of happiness. Yeah. In a sense that we are always dealing with something amazing, it, whether it be my grandparents saving up for two and a half years to go and stay at Le Manoir, or maybe it's a honeymoon. Or when I was at South Lodge, I did a proposal where his girlfriend was going to come in by helicopter and he wanted me to lay out her name, Will You Marry Me, on the lawn for the South Lodge. Wow, blame me. Everybody in the reception said, no, we can't do it. But I was like, yes, I want to do it. <laughs> yeah. um, so we had loads of log fires in South Lodge. So we had lots of logs. So I got loads of logs cut up and I laid them all out on the lawn. I used the, the little tractor they had and filled the trolley and loaded them all onto the lawn. I think it took me about two and a half hours to lay them all out. <clears throat> you just wanted to drive the tractor, didn't you? I did really want to drive the tractor. I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I just wanted to drive the tractor around South Lodge. And then, yeah, so she came in by helicopter and we had her name, Will You Marry Me? And they proposed and they got loads of pictures. But, but I was explaining this to the children and I was saying, look, like that is a memory that that, that couple will have forever. Yeah. And you played a part in that. Yeah. You know, you, you facilitated that. You put that together and, and you worked with that person to make that, that dream come true. And, you know, it, it's incredibly rewarding to do something like that. And I was explaining that to the students to saying, you know, what we do is really rewarding and it's appreciated. You know, I don't think there is another industry like this where you're appreciated so much for the things that you, do, you know, your work, just your general work. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be difficult sometimes. So I usually leave that bit out. <laughs> Yeah, but do you know what? That 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 doesn't define hospitality as an industry. Lots of industries are difficult at certain moments, exactly. you know. And we I we talk about you know the, the the aspirational industries are usually things like law and medical and finance and these sorts of things because that's where the 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 perceived money is. Mm -hmm. But I you know I've having had a a wife who's worked within hedge funds. There's a massive flip side to all of that, and that's high stress, high pressure, you know, it's a pretty insipid environment at times, mm -hmm. you know, and you've got to stay behind until whenever to get something done. Yeah. So, you know, these are the things that, that, that people talk about hospitality being, you know, a high pressure, long hours and all of that. And there are times when that's the case, of course, but it definitely does not define the industry as being that's what it is. Right because you get that in so many different industries. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It, you know, there's challenges in, in everything, are, are, you know, whatever it is that you're doing. But the best thing I think about the hospitality challenges is that you've got to be creative with some of your solutions sometimes. And you've got to, yeah. you know, it's not just so right, let's refer to the manual, what we've got to do now. You know, it's a, hmm, how can Indeed. I fix that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you get to drive the tractor. And you get to drive a tractor and dress Roman Blanc up in a Winnie the Pooh outfit. Indeed, yes, please, 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 and wherever I am in the world at that time, if you get, if you make that happen, I'm there. But it, it is Roman <laughs> Blanc. It's going to have to be top quality, you know, straight from Disney. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so. I, not, absolutely. We oh. might even have to get a descendant of Disney to be there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to have to go to a Disney store and ask to borrow one. Yeah.
Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. We haven't really talked about how you and I met, but that, that yep. was through another wonderful little thing that happens called a pantomime. Oh, yeah. It's funny how many people from the pantomime I've actually had on this show, but there's there's a reason for that. I think it takes a certain type of character to to do to get involved in pantomime. Oh yeah, absolutely. How did you get get involved? Well, being at Le Manoir, I never I've never been in London, and I'd always wanted to do it. So yeah. before this, I'd always wanted to be uh, in 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 amateur dramatics, and you know I wanted to be an actor, I wanted to be on stage, and I just decided I'd be on a hotel stage instead. Um, but when yeah, I yeah, well, it's a stage. <laughs> it's, it's always performance. Yeah. Um, so I've always wanted to do it, but never being in London, it was just always much of a, too much of an inconvenience to get into London to do it and la la la. Um, but now that I was working in London, I thought, yep, yeah, I'm doing it. You know, I'm doing it this year, even though I'm operationally focused and I don't work nine to five and I work shifts, I'm going to do it. Um, and that's what I did. And it was, um, I remember Monica Orr talking to me about it uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, and then I, I signed up for... Um, a Cinderella one this year. I think she's a, a sneaky talent scout, is that Monica <laughs> or? Um, because it was a conversation with her that got me involved. Oh, really? In the, uh, yeah, yeah, a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd had a couple of glasses of champagne, which helped at the time. It was at a networking event for the Institute of Hospitality. Huh. And uh, she caught me at a, a weak moment. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have never regretted it. It's just one of the most amazing experiences that I think I've ever, I've ever done, just in terms of what it does for kind of stretching you and you know, and and it's such a great leveler with yeah. everyone that's involved. You know, you've got big powerful CEOs, um, and then you've got um, you know waiters and commie chefs, and everybody is absolutely on a level. Yeah, but, you know the people who rule the roost are the directors, right? They're um, it was just. You, whatever they say, they you do. <laughs> it, it it was just a whole bunch of fun, a whole bunch of laughs, and it's rewarding, and it's for charity, and it's it's just engaging and getting everybody to come and see it after all that hard work you've put into it as well is just as rewarding. And yeah, I will be doing them forevermore whilst I'm in London. <laughs> here, here, here's to that. Yeah, I'm I'm with you, hundred percent. I'm conscious of time, but um, have you got any examples of any funny stories that are shareable? Shareable. I've got. I've got to. I've got to put that in now because so many of them aren't. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I mean, Raymond Blanc is always full of fun stories. Working at Le Manoir is full of fun stories. Oh, yeah, shareable ones. It's, yeah. It's tough, isn't it? I've been thinking about this, and I'm thinking, oh, well, yeah, I can't really tell that one because uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it puts too much. Uh, <laughs> might get a few people into trouble. I think one of the, oh, gosh, uh... <laughs> you just you just run that thing through your brain and go, oh no, I can't even tell that one. I, mean, um... yeah, I did. I, I, well, I mean, I always used to love dog sitting behind the office, behind the reception desk. You know, just right. Uh, so at Le Manoir, we have we have kennels. Yeah, heated. They're padded. They're gorgeous kennels, but I'd always feel bad for leaving the dogs there. Mm. So uh, there have been a few times that I might have just said to the owner, "Don't worry, just leave them behind reception, and and I'll take care of your dog." You know, just bring a bed under there, and I'll, I'll watch over them as I'm, you know, trying to run a hotel. 
Yeah. <laughs> My priorities straight. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know, just another way that, that highlights that hospitality really has everything. Absolutely. The, the ability to dog sit while you're at work. Yeah. <laughs> as well. Uh, that that gets my vote. I'm a I'm a big dog fan. We've we have a little beagle. Okay. And I see like you, I couldn't imagine leaving her in a kennel. No. She has to she has to be in the restaurant with me or or not at all. No, I, I absolutely love to do, do, do love dogs and, and yeah, I just couldn't put them in the kennel. It was too bad. Yeah. Um there was a that I had uh, I've got another story in terms of uh, buggies, you know, the golf buggies. Everyone who works in hotels that gets to have a golf buggy just loves it. Yeah. I, I remember one of those going over, going down a bank once, flipped over, uh, and it was a case of, is there enough damage that I can get away with it just to put it back into yeah. the bed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do. yeah. Uh, nothing to see yeah. here. <laughs> it's not my fault. They're not four wheelers. They're not off, off road, but we had to take them off road a few times. <laughs> Yeah, I'd, I'd show me somebody who's been given access to a golf buggy who's not tried to thrash the hell out of it. Then, uh, you know, you've not lived, have you? <laughs> uh, or, or another one might be um, a linen porter called me up once in panic saying uh, there's a dog yelping in one of these rooms. And I'm thinking, oh, God, you know, you can get noise complaints anyway. So I went up um, to see him on, on the floor um, and it, turns out it, it wasn't a dog it was just um two people expressing their love for one another <laughs> oh superb oh that's brilliant uh, there we are it, it took us three stories but we got the one but um no one's implicated in that one no nope, no that's anonymous that's fine uh, uh, they'll know they'll know who they are or another good one this person will, will know who it is a particular guest uh, at a particular hotel uh, used to like to come with friends uh, lady friends yeah on their business travels <laughs> and uh, decided to bring the family though on one occasion for anniversary and brought the kids and all that kind of stuff the same gentleman um, but the gentleman uh, uh, said before you know please don't welcome me back just treat me as a new guest right anyway so late in the afternoon the late shift came in guest walked in with family late shift immediately goes ah mister welcome back oh, oh. oh no and it was a look of oh my god <laughs> and you could see the yeah. wife just turn and look at him as well and be like what yeah, uh, with a different lady this time sir yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what um or another one I had, um, I was at La Manoir. This is completely innocent, actually, as well, this one was. The issue with hotel is you, you, you see guests all the time, and when you go to one hotel, you see them at another hotel, and you think they might, they've been there before. Mm. So I welcomed one of these gentlemen back, and I said, ah, welcome back, how are you? And, and the wife was like, we've never been here before. And he was like, no, we haven't been here before. Anyway. Wink, so wink. Yeah, I'm looking at him thinking, oh my God, what have I done? Like, I'm sure I've seen you, like, you've been here before. And I checked the system and he hadn't. Right. And then I was like, oh my God, I've made a huge mistake. So I had, to, I called the room actually. And I said, you know, let me speak to your wife because I'm really sorry, but I've just mistaken you seeing you at another hotel. Um, and I've, I've promised you, I, I haven't seen him here with a, a woman. Like, you know, I promise you he's not been having an affair here. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> me getting confused of where I've seen you before. Goodness. Yeah. Can see how that might be a, a bit of a sweaty moment. Yeah, it you... was. But these are all parts 
of uh, of the lessons that you learn, right? Yeah. yeah, only welcome them back if you're absolutely 100% confident you've seen them before. And yeah. only welcome them back if you're confident they're not going to bring their family after they bring their mistress. Absolutely. And check the uh, the handover document from one shift to the next. <laughs> yeah. Handover. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great stuff. What's what's the next year got in, in store for you? Well, the next year for me is getting the Mayfair townhouse open. Uh, we yep. get open on the 16th of November. Um, I'm also really excited to announce that I will be, well, when this video comes out, I will have been appointed as an ambassador for Hospitality Action. Um, Fantastic. To make sure that every single hospitality venue across the UK is aware of hospitality action and what it is they do and the support they offer and just the literally the life-changing work that hospitality action do you know they yeah. are, are huge heroes uh, that don't wear capes um that need to be appreciated more and i will be going out as loud as i can to sing about them um and then Fabulous. a bit later on hopefully next year i will be doing i've got an interview for the masters in holders aspiring leaders diploma uh, excellent had my interview this year but obviously corona um yeah 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 got pushed back on that which probably was a good thing considering i'm now doing an opening you know so to have done masters in holders and an opening would have been a little bit ambitious i think um so it's hope good to have ambition it is good to have ambition but it, i think it was probably more delusional that i could have done the two with, <laughs> yeah tempered with a bit of realism yeah. um so i did have an interview for that next year which would be really really exciting to hopefully be a part of um, that incredible alumni that they have. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. Actually, the, the episode I aired last night with Daniel Podreski, we talked about the master end holders and actually what they're now trying to do because it, it, there's so much, so many amazing humans uh, involved in that organisation that you know there's just so much knowledge and capability out there that let's start pulling it and um, and you know help the industry move forward. Yep. in whatever form that looks like so i think if you can get involved with that then you know your your voice will be most welcome it'd be fantastic to be to be part of that team and yeah share my experiences and and learn about their experiences too yeah excellent what would you say final question before i let you on your merry way uh what what would you say to to somebody who was considering a, a career in hospitality for somebody considering a career in hospitality, I would say that you're going to be in for probably the wildest ride of your life, <laughs> uh, probably the most rewarding ride of your life, as the the, the industry itself is a, a collaboration of people from every single walk of life, from every single background, from every single expertise, and we all come together at the end of the day to put a product together that just screams with passion and dedication and joy and it is rewarding then to see that received by our guests um yeah. that are there to celebrate something special or to enjoy a night away to, or whatever it is they might be doing to whilst they're here it's just so satisfying to know that your hard work and your efforts have gone into something so much appreciated by so many people yeah I couldn't agree more. And if you're really lucky, you also get to see Raymond Blanc in a Winnie the Pooh outfit. <laughs> oh gosh, I, 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 I am going to try and get this done for you, Phil. This is. I'm gonna... talking it into existence. That's that's what I'm doing. The more I talk about it, the the more likely it is to happen. So. Uh... I'm just trying to imagine a French Winnie the Pooh now as well. <laughs>
<laughs> I'm still there'll, st there'll still be excellent culinary advice oh, coming I'm, from there, probably yeah. involving a lot more than honey. <laughs> <laughs> How many different ways can you have honey served? Yeah, I'm sure there's a few under the uh, the watchful guise of uh, of Mr. Blanc. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, what's uh, what's the best method for people to get in touch with you if they they want to just chew the fat over anything we've talked about or learn a little bit more about you and your property, etc. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm quite uh, available on Twitter. So my, my tag is just MitchColl21. So M-I-T-C-H-C-O-L-L-2-1. That's my Instagram, uh, my Twitter. Uh, I'm also available on LinkedIn, just Mitch Collier. Or you can email me as well. It's just my full name. So MitchellCollier at hotmail.co.uk. Splendid. And I'll, I'll stick all that in the show notes as well. Um, so if, if people want uh, access to that. I have to say, you're you're kind of breaking the trend of I'm going to go patronising again here because of the, your your age. Uh, I was always told by uh, students that I've mentored over the years that uh, Instagram was the way forward. But you're you're bucking the trend. You're you're a Twitter runner. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I have got an Instagram, but it's just for me to show off what I'm doing in terms of work wise. You know, so I have got a work Twitter, uh, a work Instagram, sorry, and it's just yeah. Mitch. You know, feel free to follow some pictures I upload on there. But I, I like to engage more on on Twitter, LinkedIn, or, or email. But if the kids yeah. want to get me on Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> follow me at Hotel Mitch. <laughs> Is it Instagram that you'll post a picture of uh, Raymond Blanc and the Winnie the Pooh? I'd I mean, that's going to Phil. That's yeah, a yeah, that's fair. That's going to go to the Express. It's, it's going to be yeah. <laughs> as it should. <laughs> Superb. Well, look, it's been uh, an absolute delight to to have a chat to you today. I really appreciate you sharing your story and um, and and in, in such intimate detail as well. You're you're a legend for doing that, and uh, and thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Phil. It's been an absolute delight to talk with you, and um, yeah, I hope so. The listeners can maybe. Uh, take from the, the talk and it, you know i'm here i'm happy to talk about anything and everything you know i'm an open book um so yeah thank you so much for having me you're very welcome take care all right phil all the best see you soon cheers now bye 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 and there we have it some of the best stories start off as one thing and turn into another mitch's journey reflects exactly that once again, a massive thank you to him for sharing so openly. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week, so hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share where you can. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>